what we saw was an old structure that needed to be completely rewired, that needed a brand new heating system, that just needed the full cosmetic renovation. The carpets were 40 years old. There were oh tenants God. with tons and tons of cats in the unit. There was one woman that had six cats in her in her unit. And were they uh, all alive at least? <laughs> all alive. Um, yeah. You always hear those hoarders that you find dead cats on this stuff. I don't know. Welcome to the Highly Leveraged Podcast, interviewing landlords and industry professionals to help you start and continue to scale your rental income portfolio. Here's your host, Dave Rosa. What's up? My guest this week is Nick Gray. He's a graduate of both Stanford and Cornell for aerospace engineering. I can completely relate. I've been on a lot of planes in my life. Uh, he quickly found out that the W-2 job wasn't for him, and he moved into rental income investing. Uh, he got a couple properties under his belt, and then he left his engineering job and became a real estate agent. Since then, he's added more properties, and he started the Gray Property Group, which they provide management and brokerage services in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. He uh, now has seven properties with 33 doors. Here's Nick Gray. I see you have a pretty impressive resume here. So you went to school in Stanford and Cornell for aerospace engineering? That's true, but uh, the, the only thing that matters is what you do with it, right? So that's, that's what I'm working on now. That was your lifelong dream to be an aerospace engineer, and then uh, you, how did you find real estate? Yeah, so growing up, I, I was always interested in, in math and science. I was I was kind of a natural at it, and that's something that my my dad really really pushed me towards as well. He he owned a business himself, but for whatever reason, he wanted me to instead of following an entrepreneurial path, just just go after a steady W two job, which which there's a lot of uh, a merit in for for sure, especially if you're going to school. So I was good at it. He he. And he prompted me to, to, to study engineering. So that's what I decided to do at the undergrad and then graduate level um, at Cornell and Stanford. And it was definitely an interesting career path to be in. I did a lot of research on, on cube satellites, um, on, on combustion for new fuel development. But halfway through my graduate program at Stanford, I just... I just started to lose a passion for it. I did want to do something that had a lot more of, of an immediate Im impact. Um, the, the research that I was doing was something that wouldn't come to market for another 10 to 20 years. I wanted to do something that had, had a shorter timeline, that was more entrepreneurial, that in my mind had more upside potential um, from a compensation standpoint. Um, so I was working at the the Stanford High Temperature Gas Dynamics Laboratory. There was one day when I walked across the street, went into my administrator's office to pick up my my biweekly paycheck, and I was very good friends with an administrator in that office uh, named Lamar. And I struck up a conversation with him that that day, and he indicated that it was his last day on the job, and he was only about thirty five, forty years old. So. My natural question was, well, what, what's the new job? What, what is it that you're going to be um, moving towards? What's the new opportunity? And he indicated that he wasn't moving to a new job, that he was just retiring altogether. And he explained that he wasn't a multi-multi-millionaire, but he had consistently bought a handful of, of small multifamily properties in the Bay Area. And those properties had done tremendously well 
while he wasn't going off and buying a private island of his own, he had replicated his income and he just didn't need to work anymore. So he was making a personal life decision to step away from work, at, at least for the time being. And as a as a 22-year-old student who was making less than $3,000 a month living in the most expensive zip code in the country, eating ramen noodles every night, that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. So um, I asked him how he had done that. He, he dropped the name of, of the Bigger Pockets podcast. So I went back to, to my lab and for the next several weeks, as I was doing my engineering homework and doing my engineering research there, uh, I probably had the Bigger Pockets podcast running 80% of the time. And I, I came to the determination that as soon as I got my master's degree from Stanford, I, I was going to leave the university um, and go to work for Pratt & Whitney, the jet engine manufacturer, which I've been doing research for at the time. I decided that I wasn't going to stay on and do the four-year PhD program that could have followed. I really got the real estate bug, um, decided to leave and, and go to Pratt & Whitney. Um, in East Hartford, Connecticut, worked there for about a year and a half doing turbine blade design for the F-35. And that was very interesting work, uh, very meaningful work. But I still came to to realize over, over time that real estate's what was really drawing me. Um, I bought my first duplex while I was still an engineer. And I found that I, en I enjoyed working on my duplex um, you know, underwriting that deal, um, have, having, uh, having searched for a bunch of different properties, um, and then making improvements to that property. I enjoyed that more than I did actually sitting in my office cubicle at Pratt and Whitney do, doing engineering work. So I think, I think that just became clear to me as time went on that I, I wanted to go down the real estate path. And by the time I bought my, my second property, I was generating just enough cash flow that I was able to leave that engineering job and go to work full time as a, as a real estate agent in commercial real estate. Now, what is the timeline on that? This all happened in what, the last five years or so? So I, I finished at Stanford in December of, of, of uh, 2016. I went to Pratt and & Whitney and started work there in January of, of 17. And then I left Pratt & Whitney having picked up two properties by that time, by mid-2018. I, I didn't have a ton of cash flow coming from those two multifamily properties, but it was enough to cover my bare expenses as a pretty frugal guy, and that enabled me to take the risk of going into commission-based real estate sales. And now, where were those properties? Are those in Manchester, New Hampshire? Uh, my very first property was a duplex in downtown Exeter at 1012 Auburn Street, I bought that with an off-market direct mail campaign. So I had previously been working with another real estate agent prior to my decision to get my own license. Even in 2017, even, even though a lot of the prices then would probably pale in comparison to what they are now in 2021, at the time, it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to, to buy on-market properties um, given where rents were at the, at the time. So I eventually gave up on my on-market search, and I instead decided to look off-market, which is a, a trend that continues uh, as, as uh, I continue to find more properties. But I, I sent a bunch of yellow letters to local landlords explaining that I was a 23-year-old engineer living in town, that 
I was really committed to living in the town of Exeter specifically. I had gotten involved with the budget committee and the planning board at the time, and I was zeroing in on Exeter specifically as where I wanted to buy my very first multifamily. So I sent, I sent that personalized letter to about 80 landlords or so, and a few called me back. We, we did tours of the property, and I was able to come to terms on, on the purchase of, of this duplex for 260 grand right in downtown Exeter, uh, off market as is, no brokerage commission. And it was a win-win for the seller and myself. The, the seller was able to get an easy sale. He didn't have to fix a couple of uh, issues of deferred maintenance at the property. And I was able to buy a deal without competition. And had there been competition and more of a bidding war on that property, it would have cost a lot more. Now, how long did that take? You said you sent out 80 of them. You didn't have to do a second round. It was just one round. And then that person got right back to you. Yeah, it was the very first round. I sent 80 yellow letters. They were highly personalized letters. A lot of them were actually handwritten. That's not something that I'm able to do now, given given how busy I am. But my, my very first round was just a, a small targeted list. And I actually hand wrote all those letters and um, mailed it out. And it was a pretty high response rate. I think I think I probably got eight to ten phone calls wow. from from those eighty letters, and that ten percent response rate is unheard of. If you're yeah, that's great. If you're doing direct mail with postcards or other other printed options, right? Okay, so you were house hacking there. How long did you live there before you bought your second property? Well, I, I continued to live there for a while, even after buying my my second property. But I I lived at that property for two years. I renovated one unit at it. Um, and then I actually swapped units with the tenants next door. I did a paint and carpet rehab in my unit. And then rather than living in that nicer unit, I swapped spots with the tenants next door, Roger and Jamie. And then I went and I did the same thing in that second unit. And that's where I lived for about two years. That was a, that was a duplex with two bedrooms in each unit. And I was getting $1,500 a month of income from the second side. Of, of the property. And then I was actually renting out the second bedroom within my unit to a friend for 900 a month. So I was cash flow positive about $700 a month, all expenses paid while I was still living in the building. And that's in Exeter, New Hampshire? Yeah. And wow, I didn't realize rents were that high. Wow. I only did a paint and carpet rehab. The, the rents right now are $1,600 a month for, for two beds. Wow. It, it would be $1,600 a month right now. But if I were to fully renovate that property, there's no question that it would go for 2000 a month. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Rents are high in Exeter. No kidding. I didn't know that. I think I've only driven through there a couple of times. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, how did you scale up from there? What was your next step after having the first two properties? Yeah. Well, it took me a while to, to continue to save more money for my second property. I wasn't as well versed on how I could very, very quickly raise capital to do, to do additional deals. I didn't have the experience to do it at the time, just age 24. So there was, there was probably a six to eight month period of time where that duplex took up the majority of my, my time, my money and, and my, and my attention. But after eight months had gone by in late 2018, I decided that I was going to do, do my second deal. I had had good luck with the, with the off-market uh, mailer campaign. So I sent a much larger mailer to four units across the state. I specifically wanted to buy a four unit so that it had more economy of scale. And that's something that I'd recommend for, 
for anyone trying to get started. If you're going to do a low money down deal um, with a government backed loan, three to five percent down payment, there's not that much of a difference in how much you have to come out of pocket if you're buying a four hundred thousand dollar property versus a two hundred thousand dollar property. Not not that three to five percent of that, or you know, seven to ten grand is chump change. It's not chump change, but relative to the asset that you're able to purchase and the additional cash flow you can earn, you could you should do everything you can to come up with the down payment you need to buy four units instead of two or three. So I specifically mailed two four unit properties. The list was much larger. It was probably a, a mailer of 500, 600 uh, properties at the time. I didn't handwrite those, um, but I used yellowletters.com to come up with a, a um, printed version of a handwritten letter yeah yeah it looks it looks handwritten right yeah yeah and i i mailed that out i still got a pretty decent response rate because my message was pretty personalized i probably got a five to six percent response rate so that meant that my my phone was blowing up 30 or 40 times in the two-week period when all the letters were dropping and i got a lot of showings out of that i toured a bunch of properties up in dover um, over in Manchester. And ultimately, I came to terms on an off-market sale um, for a four-unit on Laurel Street in Manchester. Laurel Street is is an okay street in Manchester. It is not as, it's not as blighted as other areas of, of the city, like the Lower West Side or on uh, Lake Avenue or Valley Street. But it's, it's definitely surrounded by some, by some not-so-nice areas. So I knew that I was taking a risk on that, but I just decided, I just came to the determination that if I could buy it at the right price and I could make make, make improvements and put my systems in place, that it could operate differently than the surrounding area. And I've had nothing but a good experience with it. Um, I actually still have some of the initial tenants that I inherited there. They they pay rent every month and it's been, it's been a great experience. Um, it's not just a four unit property, but it's a very it's a very big property as well. So I got a lot of a lot of potential rental income for the money that I paid. Um, I paid a hundred a unit in 2018, which wasn't it's certainly not an overmarket price. Um, even you know even for you know an average two or three bedroom um, in in the city, but I felt that paying a hundred dollars or hundred grand a unit. Um, at that point in time for this particular property was a great deal because these are these are monster units they're all four bedroom apartments oh really a five bedroom house on on the lot so when i came in and i paid 100 grand per unit i felt that the seller probably thought he was getting the market price at the time but i was immediately walking into 1400 dollars a month rents for unrenovated units and now I've renovated a lot of those units and the income on the units are as high as $1,700, $1,800 per month. All right. So that was a second property, correct? Yeah, that was a second okay. property. And that was, and those were both in 2018. You got two properties. Where did you go from there? From, from that same mailer campaign, the one that I was able to land the four unit on the world street in Manchester, I ended up striking up a, a long-term relationship with the owner of a four unit in Newmarket. And he determined that he wasn't ready to sell the building right away, but he also needed someone to take care of the place. And he wasn't going to pay third-party management either. 
I felt like the property wasn't operating where it could be. I thought that it could be a win-win if we were to sign a master lease option where I came in and acted as the, the master tenant and then leased the building from the owner and then leased out the apartments to residential tenants and co- really? collected a, a fee on, on the Delta there. And the, the reason why I, I did that was because I didn't have the cash to, to, make, to, to make a decent sized down payment. Um, he wasn't into seller financing at the time. I, I just uh, thought that if the property were run better, if we took care of some deferred maintenance, if we were just more responsive to tenant needs, if we spruced up the landscaping and the first impression of the property, that I was going to be able to bump the rents and that I would then be able to buy the property at, at a suitable price. Something that I couldn't pay up front, given the current performance of the property, but that I would be able to pay late, later on once the rents were higher. So I came in, uh, I, I paid the landlord a, a fixed amount of just 3000 a month to, to rent the property. And then I rented out the four units to to the four tenants and made about $4,000 total on that. The landlord was responsible for the operating expenses. I made about $1,000 a month. The landlord didn't have to deal with any property man- management duties. And while I was in charge of the property, I just used the regular operating budget to make incremental improvements to the property to, in the landscaping with the with the, the, the way in which we interacted with the tenants, uh, with the common areas, I was able to buy the property for just four twenty um, a couple of years later. So, or eight, eighteen months later, rather. So, in late twenty nineteen, I was able to buy that property for four twenty, and that's a hell of a price for four units in in Newmarket with, with three bedrooms in each unit. During this time, I left Pratt and Whitney. Went to work for the Bolas Company in Portsmouth, which was formerly CBRE. And I was there for about eight months doing commercial sales. And commercial is, is kind of a, a broad term. So commercial real estate can mean office, retail, industrial. Um, and when I say commercial, I also mean in investment grade multifamily as well. So if, if a property is producing income, if the owner is buying the property for the purpose of making money. I view it as a commercial deal. So I became a commercial real estate agent. My main focus was multifamily sales. And because of the work that was being done um, at at the Bolas company, I did a little bit of office and a little bit of industrial as well. But it became clear to me that multifamily was, was definitely my passion. That's what I knew best. And that's the niche that I've tried to carve out as a multifamily broker. So I, I worked there for about seven months, did, did a number of transactions, but I ended up leaving the Bolas company when I came across my, my first really big in investment opportunity on the multifamily front. I did another direct mail campaign, and this time I was sending a direct mail campaign with a good, a good friend of mine from, from the local area, and one potential opportunity that we came across was a 12-unit building in Derry at 6 Old Chester Road. Uh, the property is known as Liberty Manor Apartments now. And it was, it was a property that had fallen into significant disrepair be, because the, 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 the property owner was, was getting older. Um, he just wasn't in a position health-wise to continue to keep up with it. 
Um, it was a, a 12, 12 unit building. It was being condemned by, by the town of Derry because uh-huh. the property had become so dilapidated that there were a lot of um, complaints from the tenants to the town over health code violations um, and, and just general building code and safety violations. The building owner was also required to install a sprinkler system as well. And that just totally cleaned them out from, from a personal, personal cash standpoint. So these 12 units, mostly one bedrooms and two bedrooms were in such bad shape that they were only, they were only grossing 600 to 700 a month. And that kind of income just wasn't sufficient to get the property out of, out of the malaise that that it was in. I think some, some older property owners, as they, as their health deteriorates or as other, you know, other, other distractions in life, um, make it more and more difficult for them to self-manage their property. The properties can tend to fall into a vicious cycle where they haven't taken care of the properties. It's fallen into disrepair. The rents are low. And because the rents are low, there's no money to fix anything. So the property gets worse and worse and worse. The rents get lower and there's no, there's no good way out. And you ultimately just lose the property. That's the position that this particular owner was in. And even though the market was strong in spring of 2019, which is when, when this was, he, he still wasn't in a position where he could keep the property. It was probably going to be foreclosed or is going to be condemned by, by the town. So my letter arrived at just the right time. I again made my, my typical offer that I'm, I'm willing to buy it as is off market, no commissions, no, you know, no, no, uh, serious haggling after inspection. I did do a property inspection, but it was understood that I wasn't going to be, um, nickeling and diming him post inspection. He showed my friend and I the property. And what we saw was an old structure that needed to be completely rewired that needed a brand new heating system that just needed the full cosmetic renovation. The carpets were 40 years old. There were oh tenants God. with tons and tons of cats in the unit. There was one woman that had six cats in her, in her unit. And were the, they all alive at least <laughs> all alive. Um, yeah. You always hear those hoarders that you find dead cats on this stuff. I don't know. Didn't, didn't find any dead cats. I don't, I don't That's know how anyone was alive in there with the way that it's <laughs> with its smell. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, it was just a, it was a brutal place and it needed to be completely re- redone not only from a system level with the wiring and, and, and the plumbing, um, but also from a full cosmetic standpoint. The, the, owner, the owner originally wanted about $600,000 for the property. That was a, non, a non-starter for me, even though uh-huh. fifty grand a unit is, right. is as cheap as you can possibly imagine in the greater Manchester dairy area. But we, we weren't able to come to terms on the $600,000 price. Um, but we were able to come to terms at 520 grand or 43,000 a unit with an interesting, um, use of seller financing as well. I, I didn't have the down payment for both the purchase of the property as well as the renovation. And I knew that I couldn't purchase the property unless I was going to renovate everything because the, the numbers just didn't make sense. So I, I was able to, to, uh, I was able to negotiate an arrangement with him where he gave me a hundred thousand dollar down payment towards my commercial bank loan. Um, and then I 
just had a five-year balloon payment to pay him back interest only. And those payments didn't start for a full year, meaning that the renovation would, would be done and complete prior to my need to even pay him back. And it was, it was a very challenging experience trying to get financing for this particular property because I had never bought a commercial grade property. I'd never done a renovation of this scale. But after 27 different loan applications, I really finally wrong. came across Scott Kingsley at Primary Bank. And Primary, Primary Bank is a, is a young, growing bank. It, it's, it's one that uh, is very investor friendly. It's, uh, and it, it's a bank that wants to take good risks on young investors, young entrepreneurs like myself um, who are trying to make things happen. Scott Kingsley ultimately got me approved for a 75% loan to value loan for the purchase and the rehab. And that combined with the hundred grand of seller financing from the seller was enough for me to, to be able to, to, to get into this property and, and buy it. Wow. You're kidding me. So how much did you end up having to spend to close on that? Just the inspection fee and a few other little things. Let's, let's see that the, the Total amount of the loan was $620,000. And then I got a hundred grand from the seller. So that, that was 720 grand of financing total. And overall it was about an $800,000 project. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So I just came out of pocket for about 80 grand, which I had been able to make in real estate sales over the pre over the previous few months. Right on. Yeah. But from, you know, as, as a percentage of the overall project cost, I was only needing to come up with about 10% total. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then that guy was sitting there for the waiting, you know, and you're the only one that ended up sending him something. And that's all it took. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, let's talk about the renovation on that. Uh, how did that go? Did you, now the town didn't kick anybody out of there with those disgusting, filthy tenants. They didn't yeah. make him get out of there because of the board of health or something. No, they didn't. They they did force the owner to install the sprinkler system. So th thankfully, that's not an expense that I had to make. That that's something that the previous owner paid for. But all all those tenants were 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 living there, and it was it was it was really sad to see. To be honest, a big reason why I wanted to do the project was just because I didn't feel like anyone should ever have to live in those kinds of conditions. So not only did it make sense from a financial standpoint to, to, to do the renovation, we can talk, talk through the numbers in a moment, but I also felt that this 800 grand purchase and renovation was worth it simply because it was doing good for, for the community. It was otherwise a very nice neighborhood in East Derry. And it, it's just unfortunate that the building got to the point where, where it was. So I, I, I wanted to renovate the units so that the building could act as quality housing for, for people going forward in, in the community. The place was just absolutely filthy and it, it took a very long time to, to get all the way through that renovation. At Primary Bank's request, they wanted me to do it in a staged approach, which certainly complicated things, but was ultimately the right call given some of the cost overruns that we had in certain certain categories, like with the heating system and with the wiring. They wanted me to do it four units at a time. So the very first month of ownership that I owned it, I decided I wasn't going to renovate any of the units just yet. I was just going to improve the first impression of, of the property. I was just going to improve the common areas. And that, this is a big uh, tip 
that I'd like to share with everyone. I, I highly recommend that when you buy a property, you try to take care of the, the, the common areas and the grounds first, because that's where your highest ROI is going to be. That impacts the tenant experience for all the tenants. So if you own a 12 unit property like this, or even if it's uh, a two to four unit multifamily, if you come in and you get rid of all the overgrown weeds, you make sure that the, the lawn is, is properly mowed, you take care of any issues with sidewalks or, or with a parking lot or a driveway, and then you just fix the, the siding, the roof, the common areas, half of the, half of the tenant experience right there is improved. And you're doing it for multiple tenants. So you're earning yourself a rent increase right off the bat, even if you don't have the money to renovate each individual unit. So in this particular case, I came in, we had landscaping that hadn't been tended to in literally years. So there were weeds grown one full story high. We pulled out all of that, um, all that overgrown weeds. We replanted all the beds. We mowed the lawn. Had, had to do a lot of treatment on the lawn to get it where, where it should be. And we also totally repaved and restriped the parking lot. We pressure washed the house and we made some, some replacements and repairs to the eaves around the property as well. Um, and from the street, the building looked like it was like, like it was brand new, like it was worth a million bucks already, even though I just bought it for five twenty and spent 25, 30 grand on, on the, on the grounds. That, that immediately put me in a position where if I were to renovate individual units, prospective tenants would drive onto the property and say, oh, this is a pretty nice place. Even though there was mayhem still going on <laughs> behind, behind some of the doors of, of these units. So then, then from there, I just followed, you know, I just continued that approach very, very logically that's the, that's the way I usually approach these renovations because of my engineering background. I'd improved the outside of the property. Now let's just continue that prospective tenant's walk to one of the units. So we, you know, the workers and I then moved our focus to the common areas, the stairwells, the hallways of the building. We did a, a, a paint and carpet rehab of that, put in new lighting, got that looking fresh and bright. I knew that there would be some dings to the walls made as we started the renovations on the units. But I didn't care that we'd need to probably repaint the hallway in a few months. I just wanted to improve that overall aesthetic for the property. So then we were able to um, start, start giving 30-day notices to the tenants. We had established some sense of rapport with them by demonstrating that we were willing to make the capital investment needed to improve the place. And we just explained that it was, it was time to, to renovate these individual units uh, I did provide 30 days notice to all the tenants or originally indicating that I wanted to renovate four apartments, but I tried to be conscious of the impact that it would have to the tenants in a tight rental market. And I tried to keep as many tenants as I could. So I first requested that tenants who wanted to move out would just volunteer and uh, I offered a cash for keys arrangement where if tenants were to come forward and want to move out on a certain date, then I'd help them get into another place, provide them some security deposit money to, to get their next apartment, which I knew would be tight for them given the budget they were on. And we were able to get three or four tenants to voluntarily move out. And then we were able to 
offer those renovated units to the next round of tenants that, that we're going to move out. So we, we tried to minimize the impact. We did ultimately have a lot of tenant turn, turnover because some people just couldn't pay that that higher rent. But we sure. tried to do it in a in as humane a way as we could. Yeah. Now, how much did how much did you have to do on each unit? You replaced absolutely everything, cabinets. Absolutely everything. So the, these units had not been touched for forty years. That's crazy. Um, so the a lot of the appliances we found were. 25, 30 years old. The carpet was easily 30, 40 years old. Oh, that's gotta um, be nasty. Most of the walls were paneling. All, all, all the cabinets were, were broken. All, all the bath fixtures were 10 years overdue. I mean, there, there, was, nothing, there was nothing there that, that was worth keeping. So it was a, a full cosmetic renovation in addition to rewiring of each of the units as well and taking out a lot of, um, um, a, a lot of cast iron plumbing as well. So did they pretty much gutted the whole place, all the drywall gone to get to the electric and everything too? Yep. We went down wow. to the studs in every single unit. We, we uh, had had to rewire it. I made the decision to put the building on electric heat, given the age of the structure, doing some, some kind of forced hot air system just wasn't really in the cards. It was mm-hmm. previously a steam radiator system at, that had not been maintained. And because it was maintained, nothing could be salvaged from it. Um, even if I replaced the boiler... The pipes were just caked with all of the byproducts that should have been getting cleaned on an annual basis, but that wasn't. So, Jesus, you talk about a slumlord. This guy was the king of slumlords. It's it's an example of how it's very expensive to be cheap in real estate, right? This 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 guy just never wanted to fix his property, never never wanted to improve the units, and it put him down this this really vicious cycle where his property was just getting worse and worse and worse to the point where there wasn't any, any way for him to get out except to just sell me the property for 520 grand with seller financing, meaning he had to wait another five years to to get the final hundred grand. I don't don't think he actually walked away with any money from the initial, from the initial closing. It wasn't until the refinance when he made it might've finally made five, made a hundred grand, off the property that he had owned for 30, 40 years. So uh, how much did you spend on each unit renovation and how long did those take? If, if you factor in the wiring and the plumbing, it was about 20 grand per unit. The actual cosmetic portion of it probably would have been 15 a unit, but uh, the electric and the plumbing was, you know, it was, it was easily 50 grand of rewiring um, and then 10 to 15 grand for the electric heat installs. We did go a little bit over budget, but I did the project the right way, and the final prog- product is something that I can be proud of. That it's going to be able to last a long time, and that, that's the other thing I'd say. You know, have a good, have a good working capital, good working capital reserve fund, so that if things go over budget, you can still do the project the right way, rather than cutting corners and costing yourself more money in the long run. Overall, the, the, pro- the project cost, the project took about six months. It was a uh, purchase and renovation that ended up costing me about $850,000 total, um, including, including closing costs and everything. Overall, the, the renovation took about six months, um, the first 45 days just being on the common areas, and then the next four and a half months being in the units. So you did all the units within six months? Yeah. So we, we worked fast. I, I ended up, you know, we, we were doing it in a staged approach. So as we finished units, I was immediately placing new tenants in there. 
it was it was a loud building to to be in with all the work going on. Absolutely. And the, yeah. the new tenants moving in were fully aware of what was happening, but I still had a vested interest in getting it done as quickly as I could. Um, so ultimately, it took about six months to get the Liberty Manor renovation done, but we took the rents from $600 a month uh, up to $1,300 a month for the one beds, $1,500 for, for the two beds. And we ended up getting an appraisal for $1.25 million after the eight hundred fifty grand project cost. So there was about four hundred grand of equity creation there. And we were able to do a million dollar uh, refinance on that, which was, was able to um, cash out a rather large sum that we then used to do our next deal. So Liberty Manor was really the, the, the first big risk that I took, but it, it kind of launched my career in a sense. And it's all, it's all thanks to not just my hard work, but Scott Kingsley and Primary Bank believing in me and also a good team of contractors. And then I took that money in 2020 did another off-market mail campaign and found eight eight units in Epping, um, which is an up-and-coming community just west of the seacoast. And I, I bought eight townhouses there for hundred grand a unit each. The rents were already at $1,400 a month, so there was good cash flow just at, at the point that I bought it. But then I did a 15 grand per unit renovation of that from December 2020 to February 2021, and we moved the rents from $1,400 to 1850 per month, um, generating even more cash flow. And then after what was a total purchase and renovation of 950 grand, that appraised at 1.4 million. So I did a cash out refinance and also sold a portion of that property, which has enabled me to um, develop a pretty, a pretty good source of, of capital now to start making key investments in great property group in the purchase of an office in the expansion of our team, as well as to buy my next property, which I intend to be 20, 30 units, about $3 million in total project cost. No kidding. Yeah. You put yourself, you put yourself out there. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't have taken that job on and that's pretty impressive to get that all done in six months and you got a golden elephant there now. So. Yeah. I I would just say to the young investors out there, but believe in yourself, you know, it's not, there, there are realities to which deals can work and can't work, but if, if the numbers are in your favor and you think that you're potentially balking at a deal just because, just, just, just because of the fear of the unknown, just know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there that, that, that can help you overcome those fears. And when, when you have knowledge, you can, really, you can really just embrace the numbers and think about deals logically. And that should give you confidence to take the risks that are going to get you ahead. Don't take no for an answer, right? Didn't you say you had to go through 25 plus people to to get what you wanted? For Liberty Manor, it's 27 loan applications. It's a little easier now. 27 loan applications. Yeah, but I'll never have to do that again um, because of of that, that deal that I did. So I'd encourage people to take those good risks when they can. When, when did the um, business come into this when you started Upgrade Properties? Yeah. So we, we, we finished Liberty Manor in spring 2020. I did a cash out refinance based off the higher rents there. Then I did an eight unit renovation late in, in 2020. And then I officially started the full service Great Property Group operation this past March. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that new. Yeah. And I've been building out the team since then. Okay, so how many units are you managing right now? Right now we're managing about 60, 65 units total. 
And how has that gone? Um, it's been great. So I've, uh, I, I made the decision to build out the full service operation because I, I wanted to have a vertically integrated company where each aspect of the business supports and kind of plays off each other. I think there's a lot of benefits to having in-house management, not just from a cost savings standpoint, but it also helps me develop a greater influence in the industry. I'm able to help other landlords that are struggling with their properties. I can improve those properties, make a, make a difference uh, in the local area and foster goodwill with those owners who want to then do brokerage deals with me or invest with me. Uh, what, what's your contact information on that and what areas are you doing? Is it just Manchester proper? Yeah, uh, we're, we're based in, in Manchester. We've got our office at 1650 Elm Street and um, we can cover anything in a 40 mile radius of, of Manchester. So that stretches east to the seacoast where I've got multiple properties there, both my duplex as well as the an eight unit property. And then we could get up to, to Concord, maybe to the Lakes region. We've got a full-time marketing specialist now that we've recently added, full-time property manager, myself, and then uh, an additional residential sales agent and leasing specialist, as well as a big team of contractors that I have on retainer as well. So I've got access to carpenters, electricians, plumbers, all within, you know, all, all within seven, seven days notice. But, so what's the future plans for, uh, for the management company? Yeah. From a, from a management standpoint, we've been growing really fast. We've, we've added a, a bunch of properties this, this past month, ranging from uh, 12 unit properties in Manchester all the way down to single family homes. And I think by the end of the year, we're going to be able to easily have 100 to 120 units under management. That's going to be helped by the fact that I'm in the market right now to buy a much larger property myself in the 20 to 30 unit range. So if I'm just able to find the right deal, we're we're gonna we're gonna suddenly have 20, 30 units to manage and probably supervise a renovation on. So um, that's my goal from an investment and management standpoint between now and the end of the year. And then we're also looking to add a number of brokers as well to the team. Um, right now, it's my, myself and one other broker. I'd like to have another three or four brokers by the end of the year that want to have a investment focus like myself. So we're we're going to do everything um, from everything in real estate from an income producing standpoint. So no single family home sales, but we'd like to have a niche on multifamily sales primarily with a little bit of office and industrial. Um, so I'm looking for young, aggressive agents that have investor experience themselves and who want to be in a, in a culture, um, in an environment where they're surrounded by other investor brokers. So uh, what are your fees and what do you offer as property management? Do you do any inspections? Is that an additional fee or how does all that work? Yeah, from a management standpoint, I think we're pretty cost competitive. Our, our base fee for, for management uh, is at 8%. If someone were to bring me a two or three two or three unit property, my standard offering would would be eight percent, and we would work down from there if the if the property or the portfolio perhaps had greater economy of scale, something over twelve units or a collection of small multifamily buildings could see a discount of seven percent six percent on the management side, and then that fee is is all encompassing for everything pertaining to management. So it, it includes six-month regular inspections, no additional fee for that. 
Um, it includes 24-7 on-call maintenance. And the only additional fee that we charge is for, for a leasing commission, which I also think is on the more cost-effective side of the spectrum. We charge 6% of the lease value, which is 72% of a 12-month lease, generally. So um, we charge 72% of, of, of the first month's rent for apartment leasing, and that is lower than the 75 or 100% of first month's rent that most management companies charge. Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've got really good systems in, in place that allow us to rent apartments very quickly to qualified applicants. And as, as a result, we're able to offer those rates because it frankly doesn't take us that much time to, to do the leasing. Also, I have a slightly different view on on the management business than a lot of property managers do. I, I truly do not view property management as a serious source of profit for, for great property group. Or I'm, I'm obviously not trying to lose money. No, right. no business can, can be in, in business if they have negative cash flow. So I'm by no means saying that we're, we're running it um, at a loss. But my main focus is just trying to develop as many positive relationships that I can with local landlords because that usually pays for itself on the brokerage side. If I, if I can make an honest profit in property management and do a good job, I'm going to fare a lot better at the end of the day when those landlords want to do brokerage deals with me or invest with me than another property management company will be if property management is the only thing they do. And that's their only source of profit because those other property management companies are in a position where they have to make as many as, as much profit from as many units as possible on the backs of young 23, 24 year old property managers that don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm willing to devote more of my property manager's time to a given property to do a better job for less money so that the relationship is intact. And we are able to do brokerage and investment together. That's that's the benefit to me of having this vertical, vertically integrated company. Sure. Yeah, it will work out down the road for sure. And that's just happened this this past month. There's, there's a 12 unit property that I've that I've uh, recently taken over on Lake Avenue in, in Manchester. It's going to be a long road to turn turn that property around. Um, we we will do it, and it'll be well worth it to to the owner. But the fees involved in doing that, frankly, aren't worth it from a property manager's standpoint. But we've we've already brokered the sale of a four unit property with that same landlord now. That 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 to me is a win win. He's he's going to get a great job done for a much lower price on on the management side, and we get a brokerage opportunity. So wow, yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So you're you're also a national guardsman. Tell me a little bit about that. That's right. Um, I'm a drill status uh, National Guardsman right now over at Pease Air National Guard Base. I'm an aircraft maintenance officer. So we, we operate 12 KC-46 aerial refueling tankers over there, um, not only for training purposes of our pilots, but also in support of missions all around the world. And I, I mainly work in planning, budgeting, and scheduling there. And it's, it's kind of it's kind of like working in a much higher tech property management role because rather than managing um, multifamily buildings that are maybe worth 100 or 150 grand a unit, I've got 12, 12 properties to manage, each, each, each of them worth $100 million. Really? Are they that much? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's cr crazy what we spend on, 
on some aspects of our military, but it's well worth it. Right. Um, but we, we, we've got those 12, uh, KC 46 aircraft. I'm, I'm currently in the aircraft maintenance squadron o- over there. So supporting all of the work that our, our crew chiefs do out on the flight line. And right, right now I'm just in the drill status role, but I do imagine that at some point in the future, I'll, I'll need to deploy. So that is something that more and more is putting pressure on me to, be, to build out a full company and a full team that can run without its owner there 24-7. So that's given me a heightened sense of urgency to, to build the systems and to, to put in place the people that can do their job with limited supervision. No kidding. So have you ever gone to take a spin in one of those? They take you up in the air and... Uh... I, have, I haven't actually gone in the KC-46 yet, but I, I expect to sometime soon. Oh, you yeah. got to do your time? Once you do your time, they'll let you go up in it a little bit? Well, you just got to go on your first TDY. So in, in November, I'm going to Gulfport, Mississippi for 10 days. So my squadron will fly in one of those aircraft. That'll be the first time. Yeah. But uh, it was it was tough last year in, in 2020 because when I was doing the renovation of the eight units in Epping, um, during the closing process and during the very beginning of the, of the renovation, I was actually in Texas um, going, going through some cross training there in Wichita Falls. So I was managing a closing and then a renovation of, of eight units from what, what must be like 2000 miles away or something that, that made things difficult. So again, just another reason why I want to build out a full team and I expect to do so soon such that I can have boots on the ground to help supervise these projects when I'm not necessarily always in the same zip code. All right. Thanks so much for joining me, Nick. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Happy to do it. All right. Go check out Nick. His website is Gray Property Group, and that's Gray with an A. You can email him at ngray at graypropertygroup.com, or you can go check him out on Instagram at graypropgroup. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Check out the podcast, subscribe, and leave a review anywhere you find them. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora. We'll be back next week with a new one. Get out there and get after it. Later. Thank you for listening to the Highly Leveraged Podcast. Leave a review and subscribe to get new shows automatically downloaded every Monday morning. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Highly Leveraged Pod. And check out our website at highlyleveragedpod.com for more info.